0: Friends, let us listen together from the word of God, from the gospel according to John. Early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I do not know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, she must have embraced him. He said, do not hold on to me, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and our understanding of God's holy word. Friends, it is so good to be with you in this full church on this beautiful day. If I forget to say it later, you're all invited back next week too. We're doing this all again. While every Sunday is a mini Easter, this is the real thing. We have walked patiently through Holy Week Last week we waved palms and processed from the town green. We gathered on Monday, Thursday at the table of the Lord. We grieved at the foot of the cross on Good Friday. We waited all throughout Holy Saturday. But we came together this morning. First, many of us at daybreak on the beach and again in this place to shout, Christ is risen! risen. Hallelujah! We have brass, we have tulips, the eggs are hidden around the church ready for the children, we have the Alleluia Chorus sheet music all ready to go if you would like to join the choir for our closing song. This is the day we are here to celebrate the good news. Love has won, life has overthrown death, separation has given over to connection. I love the welcome statement here at First Church. We say it faithfully every week, and we also have it on the walls, in every bulletin. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here, regardless of any categories we might devise to separate us. But sometimes I have to add to it—throw you all a little curveball to make sure that you're paying attention, especially if you have it memorized. Many of you do. And one of the things I say every once in a while is you are welcome here if you feel like you know exactly what you believe and you are welcome here if you come full of questions. You are welcome here if you have no idea what it is that you believe. You might be here this morning just for the pure joy of it. You might be here because of the faith that someone else has passed on to you You might be here because someone beside you urged you to come. You might be here without really knowing why, but we are all here together. Praise be to God. Most churches claim to offer truth, and to have the right answers, and to be able to tell you what to believe. It is part of our tradition here that we are happy to believe we do not necessarily all believe the same things in the same ways, and that is quite all right with us. We believe in good questions and honest curiosity, and we really don't believe in an us-versus-them attitude about matters of faith. It is just us, and there are as many ways of thinking, look around, as there are people in this room. Believing different things does not prevent us from being in community. It baffles me this morning that the general understanding of Christianity basically took these beautiful stories, these accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and the work of God's Holy Spirit calling us all together, calling together people who were often adorably confused and misguided and turned us into one beloved community, But we took that and spun it into something like this. Tell me if this resonates for you. God needed a way to sort out this huge problem of sin. So God put the sins of the world on Jesus. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And if, and this is a big if, if you will believe this, then you get to go to heaven. But if you don't, you go to the fiery pits of hell. So you better believe it, and you better believe it the right way. This seems to be what most people know about Christianity. We have to mentally accept things and intellectually agree to things. We have to get it here. And each different denomination, you know there are too many to count, represents a time in human history when church folks said, essentially, you are wrong, but we are right. So we'll be worshiping across the street if you need us, if you change your mind and want to be right like us. Actually, that was the best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario, it involved bloodshed. And yes, these stories are also about culture and power, but it also came down to what to think what to believe, how to believe, what to know. And it could look to some people like this is a lecture hall. This is a classroom. The professor stands up here to teach you things, to help you learn things. Because throughout history, again, it was critical to have the right set of answers. Do you remember how there was always that student who anxiously raises his hand and asks a few times every lecture, is this going to be on the test? And it would just take all the joy out of learning. But what kind of an all merciful, all knowing, all wise God would look at the ways we have muddled up our lives in every possible way and think, I know what to do? I'll give them a test. I will do the impossible. I will defy all laws of nature. I will defeat death so that the people who can wrap their minds around the impossible can come join me in the afterlife. And too bad for those who can't. What kind of a God would do this? It makes no sense to me, and it is not biblical either. God has no opinion. God does not care about whether you believe intellectually in your brain, in your head, that Jesus was raised from the dead. So let's set that whole idea aside. Let's not be anxious students. No, this is not going to be on the test because there is no test. We are here for the joy of learning and growing together. God cares instead that you believe this with your heart and soul by entering into an experience of the good news of the resurrection. It matters that you believe this with your hands and with your feet. It matters that you believe this with your days. What Mary Oliver would say, it matters that you believe it with your one wild and precious life. It matters that you believe this with how you treat one another. But it does not matter that you believe if by believing you mean that you have a set of right answers to questions in your mind. We can and should be full of curiosity and questions, but the best kind of question is whether your living reflects back the deeper truth of the story. Can reflection happen in your life? Can you stay open to the possibility that God is capable of beginning again with you No matter what, no matter what you have done, no matter how you are feeling, God is capable of resurrection in your own life. That isn't something to know in your mind. That is a way of being. And in the meantime, your questions, even what feel like nagging doubts, make you no less a follower of Jesus. Let's take Mary. Surely she is the best model of faithful living. She is in every gospel writer's account of what happens at the cross and the tomb. She goes to the tomb at first light. She runs to get the others. She returns again. She waits outside the tomb. She preaches the first Easter sermon when she says, I have seen the Lord. But did you notice She did not have the correct set of facts in her mind. She says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She did all the right things, but she didn't get it here. She speaks directly to Jesus without even realizing it's him. But she knows in other ways how to respond to resurrection. The beloved disciple also, let's look at him. The scripture says, he saw and believed, but the very next line, he did not understand. You can see and you can believe without understanding in your mind. And truthfully, just about all of the disciples who walked and ate and prayed and fished and healed and hiked with Jesus, they didn't get it. They missed the point again and again. If they had been given a multiple choice test, even an easy one, even an open book one, even with Jesus sitting there feeding them the right answers, which he did, they didn't understand. And the opposite can also be true. In the Gospel of John, you can have the right answer in your mind, but still be wrong. Do you know people who are like that sometimes? They can be right and still be wrong. Caiaphas and Pilate, we read on Good Friday the things that they said. One person could die for the good of the people. Yes, that was close to the right answer. They said this man is truly innocent. But their living, their choices, their actions were all wrong when it came to Jesus. You can be confused here and right here. You can be right here and still not get it. How did we take something that was supposed to feel like falling in love and turn it into the calculus exam that we didn't study for? Or maybe we took the experience of love and tried to devise something to test it and understand it. Friends, let's undo all that. And let's read the love story that cannot be understood or quantified. Let's remember the heart of the story that Jesus lives out with Mary. This story echoes the words from the prophet Isaiah, do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. This is a love story. What does it mean to believe in the Gospel of John? Biblical scholars have counted, and they can tell you, that the word we translate as believe, John uses nearly 100 times, but it is a noun form, to believe or believing. Never belief, never a noun. For John, belief is always an action word. It is something you do, like running and telling. Believing is embodied. Just as the incarnation and resurrection were an embodied act, Jesus was not resurrected as a thought or an idea, but as a living human being. In Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin Kimmer says, In indigenous ways of knowing, we understand a thing only when we understand it with all four aspects of our being. Mind, body, emotion, and spirit. Pastors often say something like this to couples preparing to get married. You cannot promise to love someone till death do you part if loving means a warm, fuzzy feeling that you can have in your heart. If love is the noun. If it is something that you either have or you don't. But you can promise to love the verb. You can promise to act lovingly toward one another, no matter how you might be feeling in any given day. That you can promise. You can promise to be loving. In the same way, belief is not a noun. It is not something you can have or possess. It is something that you get to do. You have to get outside of your head and tap into an embodied wisdom. Jesus came in the flesh to live among us, to connect with us through water and bread and cup. Jesus is embodied. We know the resurrection in our bodies, in our hearts, and in our souls. Don't we, friends? Don't we know in other ways, in embodied ways, that this story is true? Doesn't this story speak right to your heart and your soul, even if it speaks right past your brain? Do you hear the tenderness in the story? Jesus said, the sheep know the sound of my voice. And the shepherd knows each one of them and will not lose any of them. It is then that Jesus says, Mary, and that's when she knows it is him. When she hears the sound of her voice and she calls him "Rabuni, my teacher. She claims her own role as his disciple and she acknowledges their ongoing relationship and she falls to his feet and embraces him. The truth we come to hear is that you are known, you are loved, you have not been abandoned. God remembers you, God misses you, and God is returning to seek you and find you. God will call you by name, like he called Mary, like he called Lazarus, come out from the tomb. You don't have to stay stuck, feeling bound up and decaying, no, you are free. Free for living, free for loving, free for belonging, free for relationship. Listen for God calling your name. God is seeking you. Know this. Friends, there is so much more to say. The Gospels are so full of wonderful resurrection stories that we read them for all 50 days, all the way through the Easter story until Pentecost on May 28th, But like I said, you'll have to come back next week to hear them. In the meantime, go on believing. Believe with your heart and your soul. Believe with your hands and your feet. Embody the power of the resurrection. Let your living tell the good news of God's deathless love. Thanks be to God.